Hey, if you have your Bibles, you know where to turn. We have been in the book of Galatians. Who has been loving this book? Raise your hand. Come on, this is a great letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this group of churches in the region of Galatia. And the major theme that we have been looking at in this book is that we have been set free to what? Lit. Come on, you've been, you've been paying attention. Good job, church. We have been set free to live free. I love that. Paul has been expanding on this idea that by the grace of God, we have been made new in Christ. We are free from the burdens of the law, all because Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. Amen. He was crucified on the cross along with all the deeds of the flesh, and he rose to life again from the grave. And now, His resurrection power has been given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is meant to be lived through us. Can I get an amen? We are made new. We have been made a new humanity to love God and love others. That's what Paul has been talking about here in the book of Galatians. Now, tonight we're going to be in Galatians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26, and we're going to be wrapping up this chapter. But before we dive in, I think it's important for us as Bible students to note that oftentimes when we approach God's word, especially the letters of Paul, we have a tendency to approach scripture with a linear way of thinking. Now, what do I mean by this? We approach scripture like we view movies, right? We look at scripture like it's moving from one scene to the next. But here's the thing. When we do that, oftentimes we miss the authorial intent before us. You see, Paul oftentimes in his letters is not linear in his exhortations, but rather he's circular. And all of you have noticed this, right? That's why sometimes his writings seem repetitive, like he's repeating himself over and over again. But he's doing so on purpose because he wants us to truly understand what he's communicating. And so tonight, as we dive into the text before us here in verses 16 through 26, We're going to revisit some of the key themes that Paul has already talked about in the book of Galatians. But here's the big idea. We've been set free to live free, to live free. And the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is there a greater subject? God has given us help in our Christian walk. And we're going to be diving into that. Now, before we do, I want to talk about the context of Paul's audience. We know, as we've talked about here in the book of Galatians, that Paul is writing to an audience of readers who had fallen prey to the influence of the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a group of teachers who taught that salvation and spiritual thriving was about Jesus plus the law. They, they thought that grace, the grace of God was too loose. They, they taught that the absence of the law led to license to sin. That the freedom that we have in Christ was too free. Now that's ridiculous, isn't it? The problem with these false teachings of the Judaizers is that they stole from the truth and the power of the gospel. You see, what we've learned in the book of Galatians thus far is that the law has no power to save. Amen? The law is 
like a yoke that gives some sort of guidance, but it possesses no power to truly change someone. And Paul is building on that idea in our text tonight. Don't worry, we're going to get to our text eventually. Now, if you're taking down notes, the title of my message is this. The struggle is real, but so is the spirit of God. The struggle is real, but so is the spirit of God. Now, we've been set free to live free. We need to understand that part of living in this new freedom that Christ has purchased for us is to recognize that there is a struggle. There is a war that is raging within us. There is a war between this new work that God has birthed in us through the power of the Spirit and our old man, our flesh, our cravings and passions that have been influenced by our own sin and the world around us. You see, there is a war that is raging within us, within you and me, between our spirits and our flesh. And if we're left to ourselves, and if we're all honest, we're powerless in this fight. You know, oftentimes in our Christian walk, we think that the problems we're facing are outside of us. But the problem is, our problems aren't outside of us. They're in us. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? No, you guys are joking. You're pretending. You don't know what I'm talking about. You see, there is a battle between what God has birthed in us and what our sin nature wants for our lives. And we're powerless left to ourselves. We're powerless to resist this sinful flesh and make lasting change for the better. But there is hope. And that's what we're going to look at here in Galatians 5. According to what Paul is writing here, the struggle is real, but so is the spirit of God. So there's the context. Let's dive in. Starting in verse 16, Pastor Paul says this. I say then, walk. Everybody say walk. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts, or a better word for that would be war. The flesh war, wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Have you ever wondered why you don't do the things you want to do? (laughs) Why there's this struggle to please God? It's because there's a war within you between what God is doing and what your flesh wants. Okay, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We'll pause right there and break this down. Here's the hope that we have before us tonight. The struggle is real, but so is the Spirit of God. Notice with me here the language in verse 16. Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what is Paul talking about here to walk in the spirit? Look, all of us here in this room, unless we're totally lying to ourselves, we have all experienced the weight of this struggle in our walk with God, haven't we? The struggle between what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in us. The struggle between this new work of God and our flesh that wants to sabotage it all. Who's been there before? You're struggling. You're wondering, why can't I seem to do the things that I actually want to do? You know, it reminds me of the famous critically acclaimed novel that was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. 
the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Who, who's ever read that book? Raise your hand. Okay, not a lot of you. You need to be better read. Okay, this is, I'm just kidding. Okay, for those of you who don't know this, so I had to read this story in high school. It's a pretty disturbing story. But here's a little synopsis for those of you who don't know. The strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a narrative about the complexities of science and the duplicity of human nature. Dr. Jekyll is a kind, well-respected, intelligent scientist who meddles with the darker side of science as he wants to bring out what he calls his second nature. (laughs) He does this through transforming himself into Mr. Hyde, his evil alter ego, who doesn't repent or accept responsibility for his evil crimes and ways. Jekyll tries to control his alter ego and Hyde. And for a while, Jekyll has the power. However, towards the end of the story, toward the end of the novel, Hyde takes over and this results in their deaths. Now this story The strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde perfectly illustrates what Paul is talking about here. This dualistic nature that we experience as Christians. On one hand, we have been set free. We have been forgiven. We have been made new in Christ. And yet, we are still very much living in a fallen state of sin and experiencing its negative effects within us and around us. Now, interestingly, when the author Robert Stevenson was asked where he received inspiration for his novel, he said that he looked within himself. You know, Paul, a parallel passage to Galatians 5 is what Paul wrote in Romans 7. We all know this famous passage. Paul comes to this point where he's been describing this inner struggle within himself, where he doesn't do the things he wants to do, and he does the things that he doesn't want to do, and he's struggling. Paul says, who, in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? And church, Paul is describing the struggle that we all face between our spirits and our flesh. That struggle of feeling stuck between what we know is right and the impulse in all of us to do what is wrong. And what Paul is saying here in verses 16 through 18 is that the solution to this struggle that we're facing in our life is the spirit of God. It is in fact to walk in the spirit. In essence, what Paul is saying is that the way you deal with your sin is not simply by saying no to the flesh, but by also saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Not only do we say no to the flesh and our sinful impulses within us, but we say yes to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And when Paul says, walk in the Spirit, he is speaking of an active participation in what God is doing in our lives. Day to day, step by step, We are participating with the Holy Spirit in this new work that God is doing in us. And when we do so, we resist the flesh. We experience victory. The first point tonight, if you're taking down notes, is simply this. Our daily practice should match our eternal position. 
Our daily practice should match our eternal position. What is our eternal position, church? We are victors. We are new in Christ. We have overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world. So therefore, our daily practice should follow suit. We are to daily live out who we really are in Christ. Victors over sin, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the language that Paul is using here when he says walk in the spirit implies that we are partners with the Holy Spirit. You got to understand this. We are called to be active in our participation with what God is doing in our lives. The work that God has begun in us. You see, victory over sin in the flesh begins not only when we say no to the flesh, but when we say yes to the Holy Spirit. And as we walk in the spirit, we are being led to life. We are being led to flourishing. We are being led to true living. So what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Well, it's simple. It means that I am no longer informed by my flesh, my fleshly and sinful impulses, but rather I am informed by the transformative work of God in my life. I'm transformed by God's word and I actively live it out. I pray for the spirit's strength and emboldening. I allow God's will and God's way to inform my living. I don't white knuckle my spirituality in the flesh. I don't try to drive out the flesh with more flesh, but rather I yield to the new life that God has placed in me. What Paul is saying here is that victory is only possible through the provision and power of God, but it involves my active participation. I need to walk I need to move, <coughs> excuse me, as we decide as Christians to walk by the spirit continually, we can trust that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to assist us. As we decide to walk in the spirit on a daily basis and make decisions that are informed not by our flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will come alongside us and give us new appetites and new desires and give us the power to resist the flesh and to please God. Now, Paul, in our text before us, expands on this idea down in verse 24. So would you look there with me for a moment? I know this is a bit unorthodox. We're going out of order. But remember, Paul, a lot of his arguments are circular. He's wanting to circle, circle around to the point so that we can understand what the Spirit is saying. And in verse 24, Paul writes this, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here in Galatians 5, Paul wants us to understand that power over sin and the flesh comes from the Spirit's work in my life and is continued through my active participation with him. Notice in verse 24, Paul doesn't say that we kill the flesh. No, he says we crucify the flesh. Now the language is strong here. This language reminds us, of course, of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? 
It reminds us that we are called to take up our cross and follow him. It reminds us that the death of our flesh is often painful. It reminds us that our flesh must be dealt with decisively. We nail it to the cross where Jesus ultimately conquered sin and death. What Paul is wanting us to understand is that the spirit of God makes all the difference in our walk. Makes all the difference. And we are called to participate with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the spirit. Point number two, if you're taking down notes, the same faith that saved us initially now sustains and sanctifies us daily. The same faith that saved us initially now sustains and sanctifies us daily. Again, this is a beautiful truth because the secret of victory over sin is found not in attempting to obey every letter of the law, but rather in subjection and submission to the person of the Holy Spirit by faith. Victory over sin doesn't come through white knuckling our spirituality, through trying harder. Victory over our sin comes to yielding to the Holy Spirit's influence on our lives by faith. In other words, you can't drive out the flesh through the flesh. (laughs) You need the Spirit of God. We need to cling to the victory that is already ours by faith. That's why Paul, look in verse 18 with me again. That's why Paul says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Remember the solution to our flesh and this raging war within us is not the law. We've been set free from the law. The solution doesn't come from without. It comes from within. Because we've placed our faith in Jesus, God's spirit has now written the law of God on the fleshly tablets of our hearts. So now, not only do we understand God's law and what is pleasing to God, but we have the power to live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a big difference. Do you see the difference here? I'm not trying in my, the power of my flesh to obey to perfect myself. Rather, I'm yielding to the work that God has begun and participating with God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit to experience this transformative work. The spirit inside us births the desire to obey and yield to the way of God that is pleasing to him. So now, because we have the Holy Spirit, not only do we understand the difference between right and wrong, but we have the power to live it out. Can I get an amen? This is what Paul talks about in Colossians 2 verse 6. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How do we receive Jesus? We receive him by faith. Amen. We are saved by grace through what? faith. So just as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. We walk by 
faith. We yield by faith to the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And we experience the transforming work that God has in store for each and every one of us as we overcome the urge and the impulses of our flesh. Paul is saying, look, you have received Christ by faith. Now live by faith daily, trusting in the power and the provision of the Spirit. The same faith that saved us now sanctifies us and sustains us daily. I love how Warren Wearsby puts it. The quote will be on the screen. He says, life, not law. I love that. Life, not law, changes behavior. And as you yield to the Spirit, Christ's life is manifest in the fruit of the Spirit. The law works by compulsion from without, but grace works by compassion from within. That's what Paul's talking about here. And I like how J.B. Phillips puts it. He says, every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe that there is a living God, able and willing to enter human personality and change it. Amen? Let's continue, Paul, here in verse 19 of Galatians 5. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can pause right there. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture, is it not? But Paul here is illustrating for us what the antithesis of kingdom living is. Paul is illustrating for us the works of the flesh. Now, tonight, I'm not going to break down each one of these because you can go spend some time on your own. There's great, you know, theologians and pastors and teachers who have broken these down. So you can get the point on your own. But what I want us to focus in on is what Paul says in verse 19. Look, the works of the flesh are evident. And here before us, Paul lists 18 works of the flesh that give us a perfect example of the opposite of what it looks like to walk in the spirit. Do you want to know what it look, does not look like to walk in the spirit? Just read those three verses. That is not what kingdom living looks like. And I want us to focus in on what Paul says in verse 21, where he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, we see here that these works of the flesh are opposite of kingdom living. And it would seem as though those who practice such works have never received the spirit of God at all. Again, what Paul has said here in Galatians 5 is that the works of the flesh and the work of the spirit, they do not fit with each other. They're like oil and water that you can't have both at the same time. And, and the word that Paul uses here for practice those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, speaks of a habitual, unrepentant lifestyle 
engaged in the works of the flesh. Now, the language that Paul is using here might seem harsh, but Paul is being consistent with what it means to be converted. You see, when we come to Jesus, we are forgiven, amen? But not only are we forgiven, we are also changed. Now, this isn't an instant perfecting process, right? We know that the process of sanctification begins and it's a day by day reality and slowly our habits and lifestyles change and hopefully we begin to walk in the spirit, right? The idea here that Paul is talking about isn't that Christians couldn't commit any of these sins because Christians commit these sins all the time, don't they? The point is no Christian could ever remain in a lifestyle that is characterized by these. The works of the flesh are the antithesis of kingdom living. Charles Spurgeon once said, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. So let's pick it up in verse 22 through 26. We're going to finish this section. Paul takes a turn here. And this is the good part. In verse 22, Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Everyone say love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul here takes a turn and he begins to contrast the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. The argument that Paul is making here is that Jesus Christ, who has perfectly fulfilled the law of God, now desires to live in us and through us by the power of the Spirit, making us a new humanity who are able to love God and love others and bear fruit to the glory of God. And notice here the language in verse 22. Paul talks about fruit and the word he uses there is singular. He's not saying the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Now I love this because fruit isn't achieved by working. It is birthed through abiding. Fruit is fragile. Fruit reproduces itself. Fruit is attractive, right? Fruit nourishes And Paul, as he describes the fruit of the Spirit, he is alluding to a singular work that the Spirit desires to accomplish in every believer. Paul is not talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but rather the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in every single one of our lives. It begins with love. And it echoes what Jesus says in John 13, 35. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, the world will know you by your what? Love for one another. And remember, Pastor Rob talked about this last week. Earlier in chapter five, we come to verse 14. You can, you can look there right now. Paul says this, for the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here we discover that love 
is born of the Spirit. Love is born of the Holy Spirit inside us. It is an outgrowth of the Spirit's work in our lives. It it can even be said that all of the attributes that are listed as the fruit of the Spirit are really just describing what love in action looks like. And it's interesting, isn't it? When you compare the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, you discover a very interesting truth. And that is that the works of the flesh are all just counterfeit love. Think about it. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness are counterfeits of love among people. Idolatry and sorcery are counterfeits of love to God. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, and murders are all the opposite of love. Drunkenness and revelries are sad attempts to fill the void that only love can fill. You see, there's a better way, is there not? And that is through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives who desires to produce in us a life that is abundant, a life that is satisfying. And what Paul is wanting us to discover here in Galatians 5 is that we have been made new. We have been placed in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference in the world and helps us overcome the works of our flesh and bear lasting fruit to the glory of God. It's not through white knuckling our spirituality or trying harder or trying to attempt to obey every letter of the law, but it's through yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. And ultimately, this fruit that it's described here is a reflection of our glorious Savior, Jesus, who perfectly embodies love. Amen? He desires that life to be lived through us. We see that the the Holy Spirit produces love. Paul says that it produces joy. And we know that joy is a contentment, right? And satisfaction, no matter the circumstances of life. That's available through the Holy Spirit to every believer. He says that we've been given peace through the Spirit. I love this. The Greek word here for peace is the word irene, and it speaks of a tranquility of heart. That through the Holy Spirit, we can experience a tranquility of heart. Paul describes that the Holy Spirit produces long suffering. Gosh, I need that. Come on, Lord, like increase. All right. Long suffering is patience. The divine ability to bear with others and their weaknesses. It says that the Spirit produces gentleness. The ability to be teachable. To be always angry at the right time (laughs) about the right things. And Paul finishes the section by saying this, against such, there is no law. What Paul in essence is saying is that there is nothing that could ever come against these things. Like who doesn't love a person who embodies the fruit of the spirit? There is no law against such beauty. But more so, look, if a person has the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't need the law because he fulfills it. He has love. The fruit of the Spirit has produced in him or her what is ultimately the fulfillment of the entire law, which is to love, to love God 
and to love others. Look at verse 25 with me one more time. Paul says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Look, the fruit of the spirit is Jesus's way of life that he wants to produce in his people and you and me. But here in verse 25, we circle back to a truth that we've already talked about tonight. And that is that fruit must be cultivated. Fruit must be cultivated. Just like any garden, those of you who garden, those of you who enjoy fruit, there is work involved, is there not? In seeing it produced, in seeing it flourishing. Again, the Lord desires that we would be active participators in this new work that he has begun in us, living out the new victory that he has purchased for us. Look, the solution to the spiritual friction that all of us experience between our flesh and our spirit, victory is found in having a greater affection and yielding to the spirit of God in our lives. Look, the struggle that we face is real. Paul's talking about it, but so is the spirit of God. And there is a lot of good on our side as we stride to walk with him. Amen? So let's pray and we'll break into our discussion groups. We can talk about this further. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have made us new, Lord, that you have set us free to live free and you have not left us to ourselves, but God, you have given us your spirit, Lord, that takes up residence in our heart and gives us the strength and the power to live out this new life that you have purchased for us. And God, we pray tonight as we break up into our groups and we talk about, Lord, what it means to walk in the spirit, what it means to display the fruit of the spirit. We pray, God, that you would speak to us and that we would leave this place having heard from you, having met with you, and that you would be glorified. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that your word never returns void. So would you be blessed now? In your name we pray. Amen.